Thank you so very much for being here today. What a great opening song. Same God by Elevation Worship. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. Absolutely incredible. Um, I did just change the date. We had the, uh, we had the wrong date. We had the 16th, and we know it's obviously you know uh, the 17th. So we just changed that, and uh, I just want to make sure... Volume is good. Uh, Eli, can you confirm that the, the volume coming out of the uh, microphone is solid and good? Because today is a very important day, folks. Today we, we will be uh, talking about my personal testimony, my journey with Jesus. And uh, it's, it's really going to be um, a, a, maybe an up and down show. We might have some tears. We might cry. We might laugh. Um, and if you are new to Rise Up, let me just tell you that this show is, um, it, it's not scripted. It's off the cuff. We let the Holy Spirit um, say what the Holy Spirit needs to say. We trust that God will give us the words that he wants the congregation of LFA family to hear. And I, I don't, if you're new to the here, if you're new to the show, I, I, I'm not a prophet. I'm not a pastor. Uh, I didn't go to seminary. Uh, I was saved in 2016, and I'm about as baby of a Christian as there is. Um, but I can tell you that I lean on the Holy Spirit 24 hours a day, and as the journey with Jesus gets uh, further, um, the old me, the more of the old me is left behind if that makes sense. As we further our journey with Jesus, more of the old me is left behind. So what you're going to hear today is a lot of the old me. You're going to hear the old me leaning, leading up until 2016 and then uh, until now. And um, you're, you're going to hear a lot of things that don't sound um, like me. You're going to hear a lot of things that sound like a completely different person. And you're also going to see the transformation that has happened since uh, 2016 until today. And I mean, even in 2017, 2018, you know, 2019, there was still a lot of growing to do. And there's still a lot of growing to do. But you're going to hear that today. You're going to hear my entire testimony today. And it's going to take the entire hour. So I would ask all of you, if you would please, uh, Osborne says, I want to personally thank Jeremy and Sabrina for help from the Slurp Fund. We were able to get groceries enough for the payday and pay the bills we needed to pay. Uh, it's, it's our pleasure, and it's the LFA family uh, to really give thanks to, and all glory to God, right? All glory goes to God. Um, but, yeah, we got a long testimony today. Uh, so not only are we going to be talking about my testimony today, but we're also going to be talking about um, praying for others and uh, praying for all. I mean, we need to, A, obviously we need to pray for one another, which we do, but we need to pray for all. And we're going to be talking about that as well. Uh, so um, we have about 650 people watching on Rumble right now. I want to thank you. Uh, if you're new here, please follow the page. We have 10 hours of programming every day, starting with an hour of devotion to the Lord and then moving on to cultural, social, and uh, political issues. And you can also listen to all of our podcasts um, by going to uh, LFATV.us. Uh, the podcasts are down at the bottom. And you can definitely go to iHeartRadio and RSS.com. Give me a five-star review if you're listening on podcast. And uh, make sure that you also download the LFATV app on your mobile device, okay? So let's get into prayer right now. And then I want to um, read from the verse of the day. Uh, and then we're, we're going to get into my testimony, okay? So uh, <laughs> I, don't, uh, I don't know where this is going to go. I thought about this last night. I thought about it this morning. And I said, you know, I can't, uh, I can't build this as a show like I do LFA TV or, LF, or Live from America. I can't, I can't have to, – today I need to just come in here and I need to just – Pray that the Holy Spirit will take over because I got to tell you, it is, uh, 
It's quite a story you're about to hear. And by the way, this is Fasting Friday. We have fasted from last night at supper until tonight at supper. So if you are fasting, God bless you. Thank you. I've been praying for this Jesus revival to get into our public schools and to get into the January 6th gulag and just touch the hearts of everybody who is evil and corrupted. And uh, so far, so good. We've got about 10 hours left of our fasting. And uh, I'd like to kind of do that. I I, got to be honest. I want to do this every week. I want to do this every week with you guys. I think it'd be very, very. um, I think God would really, really love to see us do this every week. So if you're down to do it every Thursday to Friday and call and have it uh, fasting Fridays, then let me know. And by the way, we also have an interview today at 11 a.m. with uh, Trump's lawyer, Christina Bob. So that ought to be interesting. Uh, So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Please remove your hats and uh, let's say it together. Our Father, thank you so very much. Father, we just want to. Thank you for the courage to to give our testimonies. Um, It's not easy to let people know who you are or who you were. And Lord, all of that courage comes from you. The energy to be able to do it comes from you. And we'd like to thank you for the Holy Spirit, Lord, for letting the Holy Spirit dwell and reside in our in our bodies and and, and around us each and every day so that we can lean on the Holy Spirit, so that we can trust in the Holy Spirit to do the right thing, to make the right decisions. Lord, we pray for our K-12 public school system. We pray for our universities. Our children and our young adults are being attacked every single day, Lord. And Lord, as part of this fasting Friday that we're starting, Lord, we sacrifice food because we don't live on food and bread and water alone. We live by the grace of God and by the good news and the words of Jesus Christ. So Lord, continue to give us this courage, continue to give us this wisdom to sacrifice our commodities and our pleasures and our desires here on earth as we pray for you, Lord, to touch the hearts of the corrupt, to bring light into dark places, and to protect those who cannot protect themselves. Lord, we pray for an armor of God around our children as we send them off to school every day. And we pray for an armor of God to be wrapped around LFA TV and rise up. And we pray for our LFA family members, Lord, that they would Join in this fight for our children and this fight for our youth by sharing and getting this out there to their family and friends and even to those who want to persecute them, Lord, because we know that the gospel is like the strongest and sharpest sword. So we ask you to accompany us along this journey today, Lord. Protect us today and help me get through my testimony. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I have to ask the Lord to help me through my testimony. It's not easy to give a testimony. I'm not saying it is not. uh, Osborne says, Rumble on Roku is working great. That's amazing. I'm not saying, uh, guys, that it's not easy to sit down and say, okay, I want to give my testimony. That part's easy. The decision to give a testimony, that part is easy. To actually think about and go back to those days and think about who you were and what you did that part is hard. That part is hard because you can't, you yourself can't believe that you were that person. So, one American Patriot says, I have no video. Rumble has really dropped the ball. Well, everybody else is in here, so it must be local to your computer or your phone, I would say. I would say try going in through another way. Go through Telegram. Go through LFATV.us. Go through JeremyHarrell.com. Like if there's other pathways into rumble, if your computer is not allowing you into rumble itself. Okay. Um, so, uh, let's get started folks. But before we do, we have some winners, of uh, some contests and I'm going to, uh, since I don't have uh, three shows today and I only have two in case uh, those people are watching here today. Uh, I'd like to say the following people won a t-shirt or a hat. Okay. So if you're listening, here we go. Uh, Jackie Summers, Jackie Summers, if you're watching right now, you want a t-shirt from the uh, little contest we had the other day, 
Planted by the Waters. You also won a T-shirt from the little con uh, thing we had the other day of going out and, and typing something into another video. Joe Bo. Now, Joe Bo, I don't know if he's watching right now, and apparently he never got his field of greens, so we're going to field him a, send him a field of greens and a shirt. Uh, Sonia Baxter. Sonia Baxter, if you're watching, you also want a shirt. Angel Mosscrip. Angel Mosscrip, M-O-S-C-R-I-P, you won a T-shirt. And uh, Kristen Donovan, you won a youth T-shirt for all the kids. So if, if you, it, just tell me what t size T-shirt they need, and we'll get, you, get it right out to them. And uh, also, ladies and gentlemen, we have another winner. I think I left it out there, which is going to be the, uh, the wooden plaque, but I will... I will say that uh, during the show later on, the 11 o'clock show. So if I said your name, please just email lfabusiness21 at gmail.com. I'll put it in the thing right now, lfabusiness21 at gmail.com. Do not email that email for anything else because it's only strictly for the store. So I hope that you guys are all watching and uh, congratulations. Now, let's have our first slurp of my... I don't have Sumatra Gold this morning. I'm drinking on this beautiful American pecan coffee, folks. Mm. If you have not brewed American pecan coffee in your house yet, you do not know what you're missing. Smells like the best candle you could ever get. Smells like the best candle that you could ever get. All right. I need you guys to share this out on your Facebook pages, your Twitter, your Gabs, your, your uh, Facebook pages, your True Socials, uh, your, your Facebook groups, maybe the LFA family. Let's get this out there, everybody. Chat is working, LJ and K. Maybe you just need to do an update or si uh, sign out and sign back in. Chat live is working. Um, I know some people are having some issues trying to get into Rumble because they did some updates lately. If you are having an issue, send it to support at rumble.com, support at rumble.com and they should be able to help you out really quick okay let's get into it folks my testimony <laughs> oh where do we start well here's the thing about a testimony i would love to tell you the moment that i was saved i would love to tell you about uh you're welcome chase and blake god bless you you youngsters uh i would like to tell you just about the moment that i was saved and beyond but in order to give a proper testimony i believe you need to set the stage of who you were. I believe you need to set the stage of who you were so that people that know you now can understand the transformation that happens once you are forgiven. Okay? Um, so I think the best way for me to start is at birth. <laughs> and I'll try to do this in uh, 40 minutes because that's all I have left. Um, but let me just kind of give you an overhead quickly of my childhood and then getting into my, um, my adult, young adult years. Cause that's where it really, really takes off. Okay. Um, so I was born in 1979 in Illinois. I was born in a town called Morrison, Illinois. And if you don't know where Morrison, Illinois is or where I was, uh, was raised at, it was the Northwest portion of Illinois, right on the border of Illinois and Iowa. So anybody who knows that region knows what the Quad Cities is, right? Moline, uh, Davenport, um, uh, what, uh, Des Moines, um, East Moline. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know the, all of the cities of the Quad Cities. But anyway, it is, it is in that area. So that's where I was born. I was born there in 1979. In 1986, folks, my mother and my father, who weren't married, um, they split actually in 1983. So I was four years old, I believe, maybe three years old, when my mom and my dad split, okay? So my dad was, you know, he was, I wouldn't say he was a... Um, Yes, Rock Island. Thank you very much, Katie. I wouldn't say that my dad was a uh, abuser or anything like that, but my dad was a partier, and my dad um, abused my mom physically uh, when they would get in fights. Um, and one day he went to hit my mom, and he hit me, and he was she was holding me, and I was I don't know like three years old I think, and I don't I don't 
think I got a broken nose, but I know that my, my mom said that she had to take me to the hospital. And so that was the end of my mom and my dad. So back then, uh, if a mom and dad split, I mean, it was just like a hundred percent chance that the mom was going to get the child. So my mom, so I never had my dad's last name because when my mom, when I was born, um, there was a big family dispute over my dad's side of the family and my mom's side of the family over me. I was kidnapped by one of my, by my dad's side of the family, my mom's side of the family and my dad's side of the family, um, like fought physically over me, put each other in the hospital. Like I was fought over as a baby and I didn't even know what was going on. You know, like my uncles on my father's side put my grandfather, my mom's dad, and my uncles on my mother's side in the hospital. They beat him with lead pipes and everything over me. It was a crazy, crazy situation from what I understand. Um, so my, so my, grandmother, my grandfather uh, told, my gra- told my mother when she was pregnant that if, uh, that if my mother gave me my father's last name, then they would disown her completely. So my mother gave me her last name. So I don't even have my father's last name, which to this day bothers me because me and my father are very close now and my father has no sons but me. So you can imagine in his 60s now how he must feel um, not having a, uh, an heir to his name, okay? So uh, in 1986, my mother uh, moved to Vermont. How did she move to Vermont? She was working at LK, you know, all of the uh, water fountains that you drink out of them, and they say LK on them. Well, my mother uh, worked at LK, and she met a man named Paul, and he was from Vermont. I have no idea what he was doing in Illinois. I think it was because he was a big hunter, and he wanted to go out Midwest and do hunting. Ended up um, in Illinois and stayed in Illinois. So my mom met this guy from Vermont. Well, he promised her this great Northeast life, this great Northeast way of living, this Vermont carefree life. Now, back then, Vermont wasn't this liberal hellhole that it is today. So my mom decided she was going to up and move to Vermont. Okay? Um, so now, at th- no, I can't change my last name, and I'll tell you why uh, a little later on. So anyway, long story short, at this point, my mom had two other children with this guy. So from in 1984 and 85, 83 and 85, my mom ended up having a child, two children with this other guy. Okay. Majogo, I can't change my last name and I'll tell you why a little later on. Um, so anyway, long story short, she ended up moving to Vermont. We moved to Vermont with my stepfather at that point and my mother, never to see my father again until I was a teenager, all right? So we moved out to Vermont, and uh, it was, you know, we lived in, uh, we were poor, right? Maybe poor. Uh, may, I mean, I, I guess we were poor. We lived in a trailer park, and, and uh, we, and not to say that people that live in trailer parks are poor, but that's all we could afford was to live in a trailer park at that point. And uh, so we lived in this trailer park when we moved to Vermont and I went to, I was in second grade when we moved and I'll never forget it because I, we watched the Challenger spaceship blow up when it, uh, when it, when it went into, um, when it took off from Florida. So anyway, uh, I was in second grade. Well, um, about, so fast forward, my parents were good. There was nothing wrong there. I mean, we were, uh, we weren't raised as Christians, or but we were raised that there was a God, right? We weren't raised to know how to pray. We weren't raised to know, you know, how to worship. But we did, we did, we were raised to believe in God, okay? So having said that, let's fast forward now uh, until I was in fifth grade. So fast forward to fifth grade, and my mother and my father started getting into drugs pretty heavy. So at this point, I had now four brothers and sisters. I was the oldest of five kids. So my mother and my father started to get into drugs pretty heavy. And when I mean drugs pretty heavy, uh, I mean crack cocaine, um, you know, at that level, smoking crack. Uh, Cocaine too, but mostly it was smoking crack. So what happened was, obviously, when you have a mom and a dad both smoking crack, Uh, They can't take care of their kids. So I was forced at a very, very young age to take care of my four brothers and sisters when my mom and dad were on their uh, their their crack binges, which could last anywhere from three days to 10 days 
at a time. So, um, I was the oldest of five, uh, and I was raising them. Uh, basically, I was feeding them, disciplining them, and, and uh, you know, getting them ready for, you know, a lot of things, school in the morning and things like that. And, it, and I developed an anger problem big time uh, because of it, because I was taking the anger out on the way my mother and my stepfather were being um, on my brothers and sisters. And so I would, uh, you know, I'd physically abuse my brothers and sisters, you know, like I was getting physically beat because what was happening was, and, and, and I don't want to say this um, to hurt my mom or my dad in any way, because my mom and dad are not these people anymore. My mom and my stepdad are not these people anymore. Uh, they're all, they're all decent people now. And I have a great relationship with all of them, but this is a testimony and, and, and I'm not going to mince words when I share it. Uh, so because my mom and and stepdad were so heavy into, into smoking crack, um, you know, they didn't, they didn't have their wits about them. They didn't have their, their logic and common sense in place. So, you know, they, uh, you know, I took it pretty hard. Um, you know, I was, I was beat pretty severely. Um, I was verbally and, and, uh, abused for sure, but I was definitely physically abused, uh, on top of that. Um, uh, I mean, I could tell you, um, you know, anything from, um, you know, fists, hands, obviously, um, but, you know, other things too, like, tools and weapons, um, screwdrivers, coffee cups, horse whips. Cause we had, a, we had some horses. So Like I said, it's easy to say, hey, I'm going to give you my testimony. And when you go back to those days, it, it gets a little rough. So anyway, um, <clears throat> so yeah, it was pretty bad. And uh, when I would, when I, and, and the reason why I was getting beat was because I wasn't raising the kids correctly. So I was, uh, how old are you when you're in fifth grade? I was probably, what are you, nine years old when you're 10 years old when you're in fifth grade, something like that. Um, so, you know, it was really, I didn't get a childhood, so I didn't, I was angry at the fact that I didn't get a childhood. Now, I'm not going to say I didn't have any childhood because I did, you know, I had a friend named Jimmy who's been my friend for 30 something years now, since we were 12 years old. And, uh, he, his parents were also, um, you know, in the same boat. They were also, uh, you know, drug addicts and, you know, we'd get belt, I would get hit with belts. Um, I would get hit with the metal part of the belt. Remember those belt buckles that had like hunting scenes on them? Like I would get the, 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 the end of that would be what hit me, not the leather part of the belt. Um, I would get coffee cups hit over my head or thrown at me. I would get whipped, horse whipped. Um, I was made to, you know, you know, um, you know, when you have like a, a furnace in the, in the basement or a wood stove in the basement, and then, uh, upstairs you have the, the, the metal grates so that the heat can come up. Well, I was made to uh, pull my pants up and uh, kneel on those when I would get in trouble. Um, and if we and if we if we dropped down, if we didn't get up, sit up on our knees straight up like this, uh, if we slouched in any way, we would get hit. We'd get hit with the belt buckle or whatever. Um, so, you know, so at that age, um, you know, anytime I could get away, anytime that I could go and be with a friend, I would get the heck out of there. I would just leave. I, I'd want to be gone. You know, I didn't want to be around my mom or, or anybody or my brothers and sisters. And so when I would get beat for not keeping them in line or like if my mom was coming down off of a, a you know, or and my stepdad would come down off of a binge, um, you know, they'd need to sleep. And of course, when you have four kids that are, you know, younger than you and you're like 10, uh, it's not very easy to keep them quiet. And so if they weren't quiet and my parents were woke up because they didn't get, you know, enough sleep from being on a binger for, you know, five days or six days, then I'd get beat for that. So then I would take it out on my brothers and sisters, which I can't believe they all even forgive me to this day. So. <clears throat> moving on. 
So, um, that happened, that went on until, you know, from, from about fourth, fifth grade all the way up until, uh, eighth grade. And, um, but in that time, in that time of the, the, the drug abuse and the physical abuse, my stepfather, um, they didn't, you know, they lost all their jobs. He had a nice business at one time and he lost his business. My mom wasn't working. We were on welfare. We were on WIC. We were on food stamps. You know, we got, we got food from the, from wherever we could get food from. We picked up cans on the side of the road. We called it nickel picking. I don't know if anybody ever had to do that. But if you, if you don't go out on Saturdays with your family and you're not, and you're not made to pick up cans on the side of the road and dump out beer and soda and whatever else is in these cans and bottles and bag them up so you can go to the uh, bottle redemption center so you can get $12, $15, $20 so you can get bread and milk and potatoes, you know, the things that you, you know, the necessities, well, then you don't know what poor is, you know, that's poor. That's poor, and that's what our life was like. So not only were we poor and had nothing, but our parents were also the cause of it because of their drug abuse. So during that time, my stepfather got mixed up with a guy uh, who was a crazy, 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 crazy person. Um, he was in the Vietnam War, and he just had, you know, he was always having, like, he had a lot of PTSD from it. And, and um, anyway, he, this guy was a uh, professional robber. Like, he would rob houses. And he'd hold people at gunpoint and everything. He didn't care. And so what he did is he, he, he got into smoking crack with my parents. And then he wanted my stepfather to go rob houses with him. And my stepfather didn't want to do that, even though he was, you know, a crackhead. He just, he still didn't want to go that route. And I'll never forget the day. Um, we were living in the basement part of this house that we were trying to build. We were trying to build a house and we lived in the basement for like three years and I'll never forget the day that this guy, Jerry, came over and he put a gun to my stepfather's head and he told him, um, you're going to do this. You're going you're gonna to rob houses with me or I'll put a bullet in your head and kill your whole family. So he did. So he started robbing houses. So we would get Christmas presents, but they wouldn't be the Christmas presents that our parents would buy. They were Christmas presents that my father, my stepfather, would go and break into houses and he would steal other kids' Christmas presents. So other families um, would wake up with nothing and we would wake up with presents because they couldn't buy them. And they did this for, for two, three years. I mean, they must have robbed 400 homes. And um, I remember knowing that that's where the presents were coming from and I, was, I didn't want them. And I, and I couldn't tell my parents that I didn't want them because I was afraid that they would beat me. So I was, or, you know, verbally abuse me or something like that. So I just pretended that I was happy to get them, but I knew where they come from. And the problem with knowing where they came from was knowing that other kids didn't get Christmas. So, you know, it was this like, thank you for the Christmas presents, but I didn't want them. I just wanted family. You know, I just wanted a normal family. And, you know, we used to watch like TGIF on Fridays, you know, Family Matters, uh, you know, the Urkel and all that. And, and step by step, we used to watch them. And I used to dream of just having a middle class family. Just dream of having a middle class family. I just wanted that, you know, mom and dad who love their kids. Kids go to school. They come home. They have a normal life. A couple dogs. You know what I mean? I just I just always wanted that normal middle class family because all the kids that went to school were middle class, you know, not all of them, but most of them were like middle class families, or at least they had moms and dads who cared, you know, and weren't drug addicts. So, um, so I remember uh, one night my parents were gone to Connecticut with my friend's parents, uh, and they were on a, that's where they would go and get crack. They would go to Connecticut. So they were down in Connecticut for like two or three days at a time. Well, prior to leaving to, uh, to Connecticut, my stepfather had robbed another cocaine dealer for his coke. So that guy, well, he was this old, raggedy, uh, he just looked like an old mortician. He had long, scraggly hair. He was this old backwoods Vermonter. And so one night, I'm there with my brothers and sisters, and it was, it was, this was usual. You know what I mean? This is a usual um, uh, occurrence that I was there and, and my parents were not. So one night it was, it was pouring, raining out. It was lightning and thunder. I'll never forget this till the day that I die. 
and my brothers and sisters were sleeping and I kept hearing a pound on the front door. Now I was sleeping in the living room at this time. At this point we had the upstairs done. So it was upstairs and I heard this pounding at the door and I was living in and I was sleeping in the living room. So I quickly, you know, ran over to the door and I, I flipped on the outside light and it was this guy out there that we knew because he'd been over at the house before. His name was Skip. I'll never forget his name. His name was Skip. And as soon as I opened the door, it must have been like one in the morning or something. I thought something had happened to my parents. You know, I thought he was there to tell us like something had happened to our parents. And as soon as I opened the door, I, at, this, at this point, I was 12 years old. I was 12 years old at this point. And or no, maybe I was older. Maybe I, I think I was 13. I was a little older. I, I, this, was cl- this was like 1995. No, 1993, 1993. Uh, so I was like 12 or 13 and um, I opened the door and he put a uh, 44 Magnum, you know, the long barrels, the long barreled guns. He put a 44 Magnum right between my eyes and pushed me back into the, like when you open the door, there was a, um, a chimney right behind the door and he put, I was 13 years old, but he was a crackhead. So you know, I didn't know what he was there for. I just thought he was there for something. And he put up the 44 Magnum and he put it right between my eyes. I remember the, I remember how hard, how hard he pressed. And I remember the cold steel of that gun. And he pushed me back into the, into the, um, into the chimney. And he's like, where's your effing dad? And I was like, I'm 13 years old, you know, and I'm freaking out. I'm like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And he's like, your father stole Coke from me and money from me, and I'm going to kill him. Where is he? If you don't tell me, I'm going to put a bullet in your head. And I was, I, it, I'll never forget it. Obviously, you have PTSD from that stuff for life, you know? And uh, so I don't remember how he left, but he left. Obviously, he didn't shoot me. I'm still here. <laughs> um, but he left, and... and um, Not long after that, I said, I had enough. I got to go. I can't be here anymore. Like, I can't be here anymore. Like, I loved my brothers and sisters, and I loved my mom, and I loved my stepdad, but I just couldn't be there anymore. It was not good. So my father still lived in Illinois, and the next, a week later after that, uh, my mom was coming down off of another binger, and the kids were loud or something, woke her up, and she came to, to beat me, but this time, I never, ever, ever hit her back, I never hit her back, I never did anything, I never wanted to hit my mom or anything like that, as mad as I would get, I'd scream into my pillow, I hate you, I hate you, but I'd never, ever hit her back, well, that changed this time, she came, uh, I ran to my bedroom, because she was chasing me, and when I ran to the bedroom and shut my door, um, a screwdriver, it was, you know, those old wooden doors, those thin, hollow wooden doors that you'd get from Home Depot, you could literally, like, you know, pop a knife through. Well, I shut the door and I was just like this on the other side of the door. And I was just like, I got to leave. And a screwdriver came right through the light, right by my head. Like if my head had been over like another three inches, screwdriver would have went right in the back of my neck. So a screwdriver came through the door and like almost killed me. And at that point, I don't know what it was, just intuition or what, I don't know what it was, instinct. I opened the door and I grabbed my mom and I threw her into the wood pile. We had a wood pile because we had a wood stove and I threw her into the wood pile. And when I threw her into the wood pile, she started crying saying, how could you do this to me? You're just like your father. You beat me. You're just like your father. And she says, And I can't have you here if you're going to be like your father. So why don't you just go live with your dad? And I said, can I? And she says, get out of my house. A week later, I was gone. I didn't, my best friend, who has been my friend for now over 30 years, he was going through the same stuff. Him and I were going, we, our bond was our parents being crackheads. That was our bond. So when I left, I didn't tell him. I didn't tell anybody. I just left as fast as I could. And when he found out that I was gone, years later I found out that it crushed him too because he didn't have anybody. He had the same thing I had, getting beat, drug addicts. And we were all each other had. You know, we were like, uh, we were all each other had. So I went and I moved to Illinois.
This is the hard part. So when I got to Illinois, I flew by myself. I had not seen my dad since I was a baby. So when I got to Illinois, I flew by myself. Back then, the, the, uh, the stewardess would, would help you from plane to plane. And I got to Illinois. I got to Chicago O'Hare. No, no, I flew into East Moline because it has a little airport. Flew into East Moline. And uh, I, I, knew, I knew what my dad looked like because I had pictures of him, like recent pictures. I knew what he'd looked like. But back then, there wasn't cell phones and, and Facebook and all that stuff. So, you know, it was... So I remember I was walking in the airport and at this, so I was a really fat kid, like really fat. I was, I was, I was such a chunky kid that my nickname, my name from my mom was fat boy. Right, Eli? She still calls it to me today as a joke, but I didn't, my name wasn't Jeremy. My name was fat boy. That was my name. You ask anybody who, you ask anybody that knows me, that was my name given to me by my mom. So when I, and there's a reason I'm telling you that. So when I got to Illinois and I'm walking in the airport, I walked by and it, it, it was my dad. It ended up, it was being my dad, but I didn't, you know, we'd never really seen each other. So I was like looking at him and he was looking at me and like, he's my biological father. So we know that there's some connection there, but we walked right by each other because I didn't have the courage to say, are you my dad? So I walked by him and he walked by me and then we ended up walking back to each other. And my, I said, I thought that was you, dad. And I gave him a hug and he gave me a hug. And, and the first thing he said to me, again, something I'll never forget. You know, sometimes these things stick with you forever. The first thing he said to me was, I was hoping it wasn't you. <laughs> he said, I was hoping it wasn't you. I was hoping that that wasn't you. So I was supposed to go live with my dad, but apparently after seeing me, my dad didn't want me to live with him. (laughs) So I went from one house of abuse and whatever, halfway across the country to another house where my dad didn't want me to live with him. So he sent me to go live with my grandmother in a little town called Mount Carroll, Illinois. So then I went to live with my grandma and grandpa. Now, my grandma and grandpa didn't give me any supervision whatsoever. So I went from having no childhood and no freedom and being abused like crazy to being in a home where I could do anything I want and nobody could even stop me and my grandparents didn't care and they spoiled me. So naturally, I went and got in a lot of trouble, did a lot of drugs, slept around a lot. My dad still didn't want me at his house. Still lived with my grandma and grandpa. And then one night I was going home, and I know I only got 15 minutes left, so I'll try to crunch this in, folks. One night I was walking home. It was a Sunday night. And I was walking to my grandma and grandpa's house because I was always gone uptown playing hacky sack, smoking pot, doing coke, doing acid, whatever, playing football. I was also sports jock. So I I was a druggie and a sports jock at the same time. I was just trying to... Get in where I fit in. I was trying to fit in everywhere, right? I got along with everybody. I got along with the bullies and I got along with the bullied. I got along with the druggies. I got along with the jocks. I literally went to like everybody accepting me or, or making sure that everybody accepted me, I guess. And I was on my home, way home one night and, these, and my friends pulled up to me and they're like, hey, at this time I was, I was uh, 17. I was, a jun- I was a senior in high school. I graduated when I was 17. Jess D says, I know Mount Carroll. Well, that's where I graduated from. Uh, so I was 17 and my friends picked me up and they're like, hey, we're going to go, we're going to go party and we're going to go trip on acid. And I'm like, man, it's Sunday schools tomorrow. I'm like, I'm, I was literally three blocks from home. And they're like, come on, man, get in this car. And I'm like, no, I got to go. It's schools tomorrow. They're like, we're going to go trip on acid. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to trip on acid tonight. And I got to get up and go to school tomorrow. And they're like, oh, you, you know, what they'd say to a young man starts with a P and they're like, come on Sunday, fun day. And I gave in. And when I gave in, it was the worst mistake of my life because we went and we went to these mansions where people don't live in primarily their second homes. And we went in and we were all messed up on drugs and alcohol. And we destroyed the homes and partied in the homes. And we did it to like four mansions. We didn't steal anything. We just wanted to party. And then we went back into town because these were out of town. When we went back into town, I was in, the tr- I was in the car. I was on acid. I had no idea what was going on. And they went and they broke into a store 
I was in the back of the car. They broke into a store. The store was closed and they stole the cash register. Well, we got arrested. And when we all got arrested, they were charging us with felonies, burglary felonies, residential burglary and commercial burglary felonies. So they put me, so I didn't get to, everybody got to leave high school and go to college and I left high school and went to prison. So I cop. so I, they were going to charge, they were going to give me, uh, they were going to actually give me a slap on the wrist and they gave me four months of county jail work release, not prison, if I copped out to two felonies. So at a young age, I got two felonies, but I didn't have to go to prison. I said, yeah, I'll take it. So I took it. Well, while I was in work release in the county jail, I got st- stupid. These people in jail talked me into bringing in weed in the jail when I come back for, at, from work at night because I had to go back to the jail at night, but I'd be let out for work release during the day. So I brought weed in the jail and I got caught and I got another felony. So here I am sitting on three felonies at, seven, at 18 years old now. No, I wasn't even 18 yet. Or I just turned 18. And so those felonies that I copped out to, well, they brought those felonies back. And now they said you're facing 20 years with three felonies. So they were given to give me 20 years in prison with three felonies. 20 years. I ended up taking a plea deal for four years in prison. And they were going to give me a minimum security prison. So I copped out and I went to prison. And the first place that they send you in Illinois when you go to prison, no matter what, if you go to a minimum, a maximum, or a medium security prison, they send you to Joliet. You've seen the movie, uh, what's the movie, Eli? Blues Brothers, right? Joliet, Joliet Jake, that prison. That's the first prison I went to. Then they sent me to a minimum security prison where I was there for one year and they were going to let me out on good time and they were going to send me to Rockford, Illinois and they were going to let me do work release again even though I already screwed up work release. So here I get another chance. I copped out to four years in prison but I got out in a year and a half and I went to work release. When I went to work release, I started doing drugs again. And I started doing drugs and I was working with this one kid and we started doing heroin and all that. Not, not shooting heroin, but snorting heroin because there's a powder form of it too. And then I decided one day, hey, I'm not going to go back to, 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 the, to the jail tonight. Me, we're going to go to Florida. I don't know what the heck I was thinking. Because when you escape from the Department of Corrections, it doesn't matter if you walk away from the work release or if you tunnel out of a maximum security prison, you are labeled an escape risk. So I left, me and this buddy that were in work release together. We left, stupid. I was going to get out in three months, completely free. And I went to Florida because I was all on drugs and thought that I could run away from the law. Stupid. Yeah, I've been to Stateville too, by the way. Somebody put Stateville, I've been there too. So anyway, I was on the run for four months. And while I was on the run for four months, um, I came back to Vermont from Florida. And while I was here, the state police found out that I was here. So I walked out of my apartment one day and there were state police everywhere with their guns on me. Shotguns, handguns. You Jeremy Harrell? I tried to lie. That didn't work out so well. So they ended up arresting me and they ended, ended up extraditing me back to Illinois. Now that extradition story is a whole other story that I don't have time to tell right now because we only have 11 minutes left. So when I went back to Illinois, because I was an escape risk, they put me in Menard Correctional Facility. I want all of you to pull up a Google or, or a Bing or whatever it is. And I want you to uh, search Menard, M-E-N-A-R-D. M-E-N-A-R-D, Menard Correctional Facility. Because I was an escape risk, they had to put me in a maximum security prison and they had to put me in solitary confinement. They gave me 12 months in solitary confinement. That means a room about five by eight, no, no jail bars. It's a steel door with a chuck hole in it and you get three meals a day. You were allowed three letters a week and you were allowed three books a week. You were only allowed outside one time and it was on Tuesday for five hours. That was also the day that you got a shower. So you did not see daylight for six days and you finally got to see daylight. And you had that one chance to go outside. And if you did not go outside, then you would not see daylight until the next week. I spent 12 months in solitary confinement. Matter of fact, I ended up getting another month because I spit on a guard. So after that time in prison, I got out in general population And that's a whole nother story for a whole nother time because a whole bunch of stuff happened there that's going to blow your mind. But I got out of prison and I got one year parole. And when I got out of that one year parole, I said, I'm gone. And I never looked back and I moved to New Hampshire. 
And then in 2000, and then so then I had kids and I was still doing bad things and I was still a, a, a womanizer and I still even abused uh, physically when I found out that she cheated on me, the, the mother of my first two children. That split us up. She left me with the kids by myself. I had to raise two, two babies on my own. And the, guess who was the person that was there to help me when that happened? When I was raising two babies on my own and their mother was gone and I had to raise these two children on my own and I had no idea how to even save myself at that point. I couldn't handle it. I couldn't even raise these two kids. I was on the floor in a fetal position just crying while my two kids are sitting there crying. Nothing getting done. Laundry not getting done. And the guy that you know is producer Eli. Eli was my friend at that time and he would come over and he would tell me to leave. He'd tell me to go. I got the kids for a couple hours. He'd do dishes. He'd do laundry. Change my kids' diapers. I never would have gotten through that if it wasn't for that. So in 2013, I ran into a girl that you guys know as Sabrina. And Sabrina and I dated for a year before we moved in together so that we could get our kids used to each other. And in 2015, Sabrina and I moved in together. And in 2016, I said, don't you think we should probably raise our kids to believe in God? Because I was getting this dream that my grandfather, my mother's father, who was a racist and, 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 and didn't believe in God, I was getting this dream that he was telling me that I needed to get the family together again. You know, the families that hated each other. And I kept getting this reoccurring dream. And my grandfather was telling me, God is telling you to do this. So I tried to get my family together who hated each other for years and year, decades. And they all hated me for it. They all called me names. They all said, you're not even part of the family. You were never part of the family, you jailbird, blah, 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 blah. Turned out about a month later after that, they all started getting together. And they all started making amends after decades. And two months later, my mom's mother died. So had they not all gotten together at that time, they would have not been able to be there with their mother they would have never re reconciled with their mother, my mom's mother, over decades. But they all reconciled and they were all in the same house when my grandmother passed away. And at that moment, I knew God was real. So I said to Sabrina, we need to take our kids to church. I said, did you ever know Christian families growing up? Did they ever seem like they were upset or unhappy? Most of the Christian families I knew, they weren't like rich or anything and they were just happy. I said, I just want to be happy. So we decided to start going to church. Not for us, but for our kids. I said, at least give them a good foundation. We don't have to believe in God, but even, if he's, but even if he's not real, let's give our kids a good foundation. And when they get older, they'll be able to believe in God or not believe in God. We'll give them the choice, choice I never had. And then one day as we were going through church and as I was asking the church people questions and I was trying to learn about God and I was reading the Bible, I was driving home from work one day and the Holy Spirit hit me like a ton of bricks in a, in, in a matter of a millisecond. Everything that I had ever done wrong was placed in front of me on, a on the cross. I remembered the people that I beat and abused. I remember the people that I slept with and left alone and never talked to again. I remember the drugs I did, the people I hurt from running away, the people that I, I just, everything was right there in front of my eyes, so much to the point where I had to pull over. I had to pull over on the interstate. So I pulled over on the interstate and I just broke down. I let it all go. I said, this life has been so bad. I just want to die. And God said, <laughs> you are going to die right now. And you're going to be reborn and you're going to do something else. And you're going to be something else. 
And in that moment, on the side of the interstate, out of nowhere, God destroyed who I was and everything that ever happened to me and everything that I ever did to anybody. And he gave me a new, a new chance. Now, there's a lot that goes on in that, you know, like selling my soul to the devil at one point and trying to be famous in music. And there's a whole bunch more to that that I have to write a book for you to even get. But that's the 5,000 foot overview. And from that moment on, all I wanted to do was know more. I wanted to learn more. I wanted to know Jesus. And I'll never forget the first time that we watched The Passion of the Christ as a family. My entire family cried because of what happened to that man. And I'll never forget saying, why would anybody do that to somebody who was perfect? And why would that man who was perfect take all that for some piece of crap like me? And in that moment, I realized there's something far greater for all of us than we were ever told. We were lied to for so long. So I've got, I've had many angels in my life, my best friends, my wife, my children. And now my mother and I are very close and my mother wants to be with God so desperately. My father and I are very close. And the reason why I don't change my name to his name, because if I change my name to his name, because I have felonies, it would be almost impossible to do. But also, every one of my children would then have to change their name because I would have a different last name than them and my son would have to change his last name. So what we decided to do was add my father's last name to both my son and my middle name because my middle name is my father's name and my son's middle name is my father's name. My, ma my name is Jeremy Richard Harrell. And that was my testimony. And my son's name is Jaden Richard Harrell. And now we are going to be officially adding Miller to that name. So my name will officially be Jeremy Richard Miller Harrell. And my son's official name will be Jaden Richard Miller Harrell. And my I told my dad that and he cried so much. And he told me he wished he'd have been a better father. And he told me he wished he never said the things that he said. And how we've come full circle. So that's my testimony. And I wish I had more time because I would have told you guys a heck of a lot more. But I'm going to take you out the same way that I brought you in. And that's with some good old-fashioned Christian music. I'm going to ask you to stay tuned because Sean Farish comes up next with Ungoverned. And I know he's always got a heck of a show. Maybe he's not sick anymore. And then uh, I'll follow that up with a, at 11 o'clock. And I have Christina Bob, Trump's uh, personal lawyer, uh, on with me at 11 o'clock. So I can't wait for that time. I got to clear my head, clear my eyes. I'll see you back then. God bless each and every one of you. Thank you for listening to my testimony. And uh, uh, I hope it helps. And thank you for listening. See you later.